just to be reminded, life in this world, in this time, and before eternity is hard. It is difficult. Now the people of Israel, the people of Judah, anxiously awaited a Messiah. They actually... They anxiously awaited for someone to come and change the situation in which they were. We're going to be looking this morning in the book of Micah, so go ahead and be finding that. Um, we'll find chapter 5, first of all. We'll be looking at starting at verse 2 there in a moment. Uh, not a great deal is known about the prophet Micah. He's um, only mentioned here in this book in one other place in Scripture. He, um, with many of the minor prophets, or many of the prophets, as their books would begin, they'd say the prophecy of, uh, let's say, Amos, son of so-and-so. Uh, Micah just sort of begins saying the, uh, the prophecy of Micah, you know, who was from a small town. He was someone without connections from the middle of nowhere. Uh, not from the big city. Uh, he had no connections with royalty, had no connections we know of with the priestly line. He was just a poor farm boy who wound up going to the city and preaching. Uh, it, he, was, he lived during a time when uh, the Assyrian Empire had risen and had fallen and during that time, Judah and Israel, they kind of went through the ups and downs with that. When Assyria was strong, they were weak. But when Assyria was weak, they were strong. And Micah was prophesying during one of those times when Judah and Israel, particularly Judah, was fairly strong. Uh, they, it was good times. The, econ the economy was great. Uh, they had... There, there was a new rich class of Judeans during that time. And what happened during that time, if you understand, first let me back up. The law that God had given the people of Israel was designed in a very particular way. When they went into Canaan, when they took the land, the land was divided up among them by lots. And they were to keep that land within their family from then on. No, they could not change hands. Now, they might, be a, they might fall on hard times, and they might have to lease out that land, but every 50 years, the land that had gone to someone else was given back to the original family. If you became poor, it was the responsibility of your family and the wealthier family, your wealthier family members to help you out. It was a very uh, unique system in which no one could fall into poverty forever. And no family could be poor forever. There would always be a net that would catch them at some point and lift them back up. What happened during the time of Micah was that system was broken down. And those who were getting rich were taking more and more advantage of the poor and taking their land and not giving it back to them at the right time. One, uh, one person wrote about that time said, the real God of the existing society was money, mammon, 
and everything else was intended for his service. The poor were the main sacrificial victims. All those who had power, whether political, judicial, economic, or religious, used it for, for evil and for their own advantage. And into that situation, Micah began to prophesy. And his message was a mix of judgment and promise of hope. Now, fortunately for us, I'm concentrating this morning on the promises of hope. And we're going to start off in Micah chapter 5, starting at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth from me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when, when she is in labor has, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. I'll stop there. Micah here prophesied of the first coming of the Lord. He prophesied of the Messiah who was to come. Now, a lot of people look, to, look back to Genesis where the promise of the Messiah was first given, of one who would step on the serpent, serpent's head and, and defeat the works of Satan. And if you ever wondered, why are there genealogies in the Bible? Because I know a lot of you are going to be dedicated trying to read the Bible all the way through, and then you're going to hit the first genealogy, and you're going to give up. Okay. Um, you, the genealogies are there for a reason. They were a way for the people to say, okay, is this child the Messiah? Is this one the Messiah? Is this the one the Messiah? They wanted to keep track of where the Messiah would come from. And particularly when the promise was made to David that there would be one from his line who would reign upon the throne forever, they really started paying attention to that. Micah points to that prophecy and he gives more details and he says, in Bethlehem the Messiah would be born of the house of David. But Micah also prophesied of the second coming. Look in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It shall come to pass in the later days, or latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that he that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and he shall decide disputes from, for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their names and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall set Every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. 
Micah's prophecy stirred up hope. You see, for the people of Israel, uh, they lived under constant threat of empires and nations around them. They were passing through a time when they had lived in fear of of Assyria. And then they had Isaiah prophesying about this same time, and Micah as well, pointing to another empire that was to come, and that would be the Babylonians, who would take them into exile because they had disobeyed the Lord. But Micah here holds out hope. He prophesied of a time when there would no longer be any threat from other nations. Because, not because God had destroyed those nations, but because those nations had turned to God. He prophesied of a time that promised hope for the poor who were losing their land because they were, would be a time that they could sit under their own vine in peace and not worry about losing it. He prophesied of a time when the people of Judah and the people of Israel would no longer turn away from God, but they would walk with Him. Now, prophecy in the Old Testament um, can be confusing because you wonder, okay, what's the first coming, what's the second coming? Uh, and it's easy to get it all kind of mixed up together. So I, I grew up in uh, North Georgia. And a lot of you would think I grew up in the mountains, but that's because you're flatlanders. I grew up in the hills. Okay. And from the highest hills, I could look and I could see the mountains. And depending on the time of year, you know, I could see the Blue Ridge Mountains. And they just looked like one blue wall that was in the distance. And I could not distinguish one mountain from another. But if I took a drive going north toward those mountains, wouldn't have to go very far, and one of those mountains would, would kind of pop out. And I could see it clearly. And then once I got into those mountains, I could see different ones sp- spread out. See, that's the way the first advent of our Lord and the second advent look in the New Testament. They look like just one wall, one event. But we know after we have already passed the time of his first coming that there were two events, a first coming and a second coming we look forward to. And right now we live in the valley between the first mountain of the first coming and the mountain of the second coming. And we still long for that second advent. Because we still live in a time when there is death, when there is disease, when physical and mental illness racks our bodies and our minds, we still live in a time and in a world where children are exploited. We still live in a time and a world where we feel under threat. We long for the second coming. Advent in many churches that celebrate it. It's not so much a time of looking back to his first coming. It's a time to prepare for his second coming. See, we live in the between. And as we live here in the between, how should we live? 
Now, here's the bad news. That was the introduction for my sermon. Okay, now don't be afraid. Actually, the body is much shorter than the introduction. I only said that, I, I was going to say I didn't say that to scare you, but actually I did because it's kind of fun. <laughs> How should we live here in the between? What does God require from us? Turn to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Three simple things that Micah points to that we should be doing during this time. First of all, he says that we must do justice, that we must do what is right. See, justice, justice is a hot topic these days. Everyone's talking about justice. And what God says through the prophet Micah is that we are to do justice. A lot of us kind of grew up, you know, I, when I first got into church, you know, when anytime we talked about God's justice, it was something to be scared of. I, I, you know, what was the movie, Thief in the Night? You know, you didn't want to be left behind, you know. How many of you got saved 20 times watching that movie? Um, you know, we, we, we dreaded God's justice. But for people who are, have experienced injustice, God's justice is a source of hope. You see, justice for many these days isn't a matter of actually doing anything. It's a matter of, you know, making the right social media post. It's a matter of not saying the wrong things. But for God, doing justice is, what we're, is what's required. It's not enough to just say the right words. It's not enough just to fly the right flag. It's something, it's something we're supposed to do. We're not to show partiality between people. We are to treat everyone fairly. If you're in business, you're to pay a fair wage. You're to charge a fair price. That's what Scripture talks about in terms of justice. Just simply treating everyone with the dignity that comes from being created in the image of God. And God expects us to do justice. And where there's injustice, he expects us to fight against that. He also tells us to love kindness. Now this word, kindness, here in the Hebrew, it, it is a loaded term. It's, it's difficult to translate just with one word into English. See, it's the same word that's used in, in the Old Testament to speak of covenant love, of God's covenant love for his people. It speaks of our relationship with God and our relationship with other believers. 
that we are to love him and we're to love others. And that we're to demonstrate that love in kindness. We are to be constantly and faithfully kind in how we treat each other and love one another. Now, I'm afraid that if there is one thing that infects our culture that is also spreading like a virus among Christians, it is unkindness. Now, we, you get online and you see Christians get into debates with either one another or with lost people, worse. And it's no longer trying to win others to our way of thinking. It is, we're, we're trying to own them. I think that's the word. I'm a bit old, but yeah, that, I think that's the word. I mean, we're trying to get one over on them. We're trying to get the best insult in, the best snark in. We're trying to just make them be quiet. We're quick to judge and condemn, and we don't dare listen because listening is actually a sign of weakness. And none of that's biblical. God expects us to love kindness, to delight to show it. And then third of all, we are to walk humbly with God. Humility should be easy for us to come by. Because the only way we are in right standing with God is because of His grace. It's not because we were so good, not because we were so great, not because he looked down and said, I want that one on my team, I pick him. It's because he simply loves to bestow his grace upon us and to save us. So we can't come into this building and say, Oh, we're Christians and we're proud. We're Christians and we're saved by grace. So we need to lay aside our pride and walk humbly with God, knowing that we are His because He's made us His. And then we're to live with the power and strength that God gives us to obey His will. You see, the other thing that we should be humble about is that no matter how hard we try, or at least it's my experience, no matter how hard I try, I mess it up at some point or another. I, you know, I, 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 I get it in my head, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to get through this day without getting upset driving to the office. You know, it, it doesn't take long. Now, I go out my subdivision, I get to the end of Richardson, and someone's making that turn too sharp. Figure out if I ever have a head-on collision, it's going to be at a stop sign. And I get upset. I say to myself, I'm going to get through the day without getting frustrated by the little things. I mean... I could get hit by a car and I'd be, oh, praise the Lord, he's going to take care of me. You step on my toe, I'm out coming after you. The only way that changes is if we live every day surrendered to God. 
if we take this flesh and this heart and this mind and just lay it out before God and say, here I am, use me for your honor and glory because I can't do it. And we live by his grace every day. We need to surrender our lives to grow like Christ and to bring others to Christ and to fit into his plan to reach all the nations for Christ. And finally, if you have not already, the way to walk humbly with God is to trust Him as Lord and Savior. See, the gospel is offensive. See, no one's offended by a baby in a manger. Everyone gets, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings about a baby in a manger. It's that he had to die on a cross for our sins that really gets people upset. Because that says we can't save ourselves. It says we have to rely upon him. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know what that means, simply means this. There's four things you have to believe, one thing you have to do. First of all, believe that God exists. Believe there's a God who's personal, who also loves you, who desires a relationship with you, who wants, who wants to walk with you and wants you to know him. But also you must believe and understand that your sin separates you from him. That he is holy and that he is righteous and sin cannot be in his presence. But the fourth thing you must believe, and this is the good news, Christ came and he died for your sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And it was all for you. All because he loves you. All because he wants you to know him. And if you believe those four things, there's just one thing to do. Trust Him, call on Him, believe in Him, love Him, serve Him, draw near to Him. He's waiting on you, and He's ready to receive you. We live in the between, between the first coming and the second coming. And it requires us to just put ourselves before Him Completely de depend upon Him to live each and every day. This morning, if you feel prompted to make some decision for Christ, whether to receive Him as Savior, whether to become a part of this church, whether to rededicate your life, I'll be standing outside at the next step station after we, after we dismiss in prayer. If you're watching online and you have... Uh, Come to a point where you need to make a decision for Christ, please go to our, um, our website. You can, um, you can, there's fbcmilton.org forward slash next step. You can let us know what you decided there. Also, if you would like, there's a yellow card in front of you in the pew in which you can share your decision with us. Um.